go ahead and get started with the word. Hallelujah. Come on in and find your seats. It's awesome to fellowship with one another. You know, uh, oftentimes I remember what the Bible talks about, about Barnabas, how Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. And that's the value of relationships we have in the body of Christ, is that we can encourage one another. And so as everyone's talking and sharing, and I love to see people in dialogue because I know encouragement is happening in the body of Christ and in Newport Church. And so uh, I want to encourage us to be encouragers. Amen? Is that good? Be encouragers. Be like Barnabas. Tell your neighbor, say, be like Barnabas, <laughs> who is a son of encouragement. All right. We're going to go ahead and get started here. Last week, we talked about uh, how we should not be looking, uh, sorry, how we should be looking at the lives of the people of faith in the Bible, how uh, many times it's easy to look through like rose-colored glasses, like they had it so easy, and how, you know, our, we can kind of look at, look at their lives and be like, oh, their, their life was just so simple, you know, we kind of look in retrospect and we look back on their life and it was all, uh, it all looks like a cakewalk. You know, but um, we talked about how we shouldn't be looking at their lives through rose-colored glasses as if their life was somehow different than ours. Their walk of faith was somehow different than ours. And we explored the idea that their daily walk of faith probably was not much different than our daily walk of faith. You know, one of the things that I really want to focus on in this time is that how uh, the people of faith in the Bible, they held this divine tension in their life between just the reality of life like we all experience and the supernatural works of God. And they were able to have this divine tension in their life and, and walk with both being okay. And so uh, we saw how God, last week we saw how God introduced the concept of faith uh, in Abraham over 400 years before he introduced the law. Uh, showing us that faith comes before the law. Therefore, uh, and we're specific, specifically speaking about the Levitical law, uh, faith coming before the Levitical law, and shows us that faith in God is greater than the natural works and the natural laws that we can do. And it helps us understand why as believers that we don't need to become more Jewish in order to be better Christians uh, in that sense. Uh, though I'm not in any way saying that we don't need to study the Old Covenant, we don't need to understand what God was doing, I'm not saying that in any way, and I'm definitely not devaluing uh, the Jewish people today, but just helping us understand why faith is greater than the law. And we started to look at Abraham's life uh, through the Bible. It tells us that he is the father of our faith. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, uh, just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So it's not about natural lineage, but it's about those who follow God in faith. We are the sons and daughters of Abraham. So as we look at the heroes of faith in the Bible, we can, it helps us to understand and create our expectations in a healthy way towards God and towards what he has for our lives. Amen. Uh, my name is Merle Shank, one of the pastors here at Newport Church, and let's pray together before we get into it this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place, and we ask that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here in Elm, Pennsylvania, here in uh, Lidditz and Mannheim and Northern Lancaster County. God, just as it is in heaven, Lord, we ask for your will to be accomplished in and through our lives. We thank you for your presence here this morning. God, I thank you for uh, your word that is preached today. I thank you for your, your presence that is experienced in worship, God, and in prayer. And, Father, through relationships and through ministry uh, one to another. And, Lord, we just say have your way. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. God, we thank you that you have divine moments for us today. I thank you for revelation. I thank you for life. I thank you for grace, God, for us imparted into our spirit. I thank you for strength imparted into our spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, that is what will empower us and enable us to accomplish and to endure uh, things this coming week in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we honor you and we bless you today in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen. Awesome. So uh, just, you know, to continue recapping last week, we ended last Sunday with Abram going back 
to where he first pitched his tent. Remember, he went into Egypt and, and got confused about his wife being his sister and, <laughs> and then gets kicked out of Egypt by Pharaoh and goes back and says he goes back to the place where he first pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai. And he, him and his uh, lot, his nephew, there they had to separate because they were so blessed. Even though the land was probably still in famine, they were so blessed. And um, we see Abram kind of learn some things where instead of trying to push his own way, make his own way work, he says, he says to Lot, hey, you choose whatever place you go, and I'll go the other way. Like, you, if you choose the valley, I'll go to the mountains. If you choose the mountains, I'll go to the valley. And he just kind of has this posture of, Lord, it is your will. And he kind of just, like, uh, is able to, I, I see this as, God, uh, as him um, understanding that God is able to bless him no matter where he goes. That the blessing of the Lord is, is in Abram's life. And after that, we see that God speaks to Abram promising the land where he stood to him and his offspring. So we're going to pick up here in Genesis chapter 14. Um, in Genesis chapter 14, we see that there was these, the kings of the surrounding area in Abram's life, you know, in the, in the regions around, they had started to make alliances with each other. We're just going to run through some of the background here really quickly, so just bear with me uh, as I kind of speed through this. They made alliances with each other, and there were six kings that were serving the, the seventh one. There was these seven kings, and one of them kind of ruled over everybody. And at a certain time, four of the kings rebelled against uh, the ruling king. And then, uh, you know, he had two, two kingdoms that were faithful to him, and they fought one another. There was a rebellion, and they fought. They went to war. And Lot happened to be, who was Abram's nephew, Lot kind of got caught up in it all. And uh, he was right in the middle of, um, he was at the wrong place at the right time. And so uh, he got caught up in it, and the kings there took Lot and took uh, all that he had along with, um, you know, the, the, the possessions and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah in that, in that time. And so we see that Abram, he hears about this. And he gets 318 of his trained men in his house. So he has 318 warriors in his house that are trained. And he gets some uh, three other friends from the hill country there. And they chase after these kings to get Lot back, to get the people and Lot and their stuff back, all right? And Abram strategically attacks at night. He splits up, divides his forces, and attacks at night. You know, and there's, th there's things that happen in our life that when we are walking with the Lord, we get strategy in the moment, right? Just like Abraham did. I mean, these, you have to understand, like, these were kings. These were, these were and they just come out of war. Like, they were battle-hardened warriors that Abram, who had never fought a war in his life, and all of his hired men, like, they weren't soldiers. They were trained, but they, you know, we see nowhere where they ever encountered war. And Abram takes after these hardened armies, like, we're going to go and we're going to get Lot back. How are we going to do it, Abram? I have no idea. You know, like, and he, get, he gets there and he, um, at night, they're like, and, and he gets this strategy to divide his forces and attack at night. And they do that. And the amazing thing is that Abram wins. So if we look at this scripture, it says, so that he brought back. All of the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. And after he returned from the defeat of that king. <laughs> See, they did speak in tongues in the Old Testament. <laughs> Cheddar Loma, whatever, yeah. <clears throat> And the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So we see that the amazing thing is that Abram wins against these kings. I mean, if it was stacked against anybody, it was stacked against him. And he wins this battle, brings Lot back. 
And he meets this, he meets Melchizedek, who's kind of like this strange guy in the Bible, uh, where Melchizedek, he's a strange person. He's called the king of Salem. We have no other record of Salem uh, other than some, some people think that, well, maybe it was Jerusalem. It was the, you know, but Jerusalem was only really ever established years later when David was king. And so uh, Salem means peace. So he's the king of peace. Melchizedek is the king of peace. And it says that he is the priest of God most high. Now, this is like 400 years before Moses and before the Levitical priesthood. This is, there was a priestly order functioning in the day of Abraham that we pretty much know nothing about other than what the Bible tells us about Melchizedek. How Melchizedek was the priest of God Most High. He was the priest of God, the God of Abraham. And Abraham comes, and what does Melchizedek do? He, this kind of sounds familiar, right? He brings out bread and wine. Who else brings out bread and wine in the scriptures? Jesus, right. And Melchizedek blesses Abram and tells him that it was God who delivered his enemies into his hand. And Abram gives a tithe or a tenth to Melchizedek in recognition that he was of the priestly order of God. This was 400 years before the Old Covenant existed. And so the concept of giving a tenth or a tithe actually belongs to the faith of Abraham. We see this here. And so uh, after that, it says the king of Sodom, um, if you keep reading there, it says the king of Sodom, he wanted to strike a deal with Abram and to say, hey, you keep all the stuff. Just give me the people. Just give me the people. You keep all the stuff. And Abraham, Abram sorry, says no. He says, no, I don't want you thinking that you made me rich. That's Abram's position. See how he positions himself just in, in uh, his walk? He's like, he's not going to take, even though by, you know, by right of winning the war, winning the battle, he, he could have taken it all. And he says, no, I'm not going to take it all. I don't want you thinking that you made me rich. I have sworn to God that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap, let alone people. Just, and, and so he, he backs off of that. And it's interesting that because of his position, I believe it's, it's almost, because it's almost in response. We go into Genesis chapter 15, and this is Abram's walk. Remember why we're going through this, because he's, he's called the father of our faith. So his walk winds up many times looking a lot like our walk, and we can be encouraged in the way that he walked with God. We can be encouraged in our walk with God. So in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says, After these things... So after Abram had said, no, you're not going to make me rich. No, I'm relying on God for my income, my finances. I'm relying on God. You're not going to make me rich. Abram, uh, after that position, Genesis chapter 15 says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he tells Abram, fear not, I am your shield. It's like, Abram, you went after these kings and you kicked their butts. And you did a great job, and I want to let you know, I just want to affirm you in your position. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. Another translation says, and I, I am your reward. And so God just kind of comes up, uh, and up to this point, the Lord had given um, four times, we have record of four times where God meets Abram or gives him prophetic promises like, I am going to give you the land that you're in. I am going to bless your descendants. I, and he gives him this promise over and over and over again, four times up until this point. And this here in Genesis chapter 15, this is the first time where God actually makes a covenant. So now it's not, we're not moving from just the promises of like, you know, um, uh, all of us have the promises of the Lord over our life. You know, but I, I think a lot of times it's how we walk before God that, that um, our decisions a lot of times has to do with how God makes covenant with us and how he wants to walk with us in our lives. And we see that with Abram where, like, he has the promises of God, and now God says, listen, because you've called on me, because you've honored me, because you've acknowledged me, I want to make covenant with you. And in Genesis chapter 15, he goes in to making covenant with God, and this is where in verse 6, 
where, where God says, listen, uh, Abraham, pour, Abraham pours out his heart and, and he's like, you know, you keep telling me this, that I'm going to have an heir and you haven't done it yet. Anyone else ever feel like that? Walking with the Lord? <laughs> like, God, you keep, you keep promising this to me. Four times now you've said this to me. Now you're saying it to me a fifth time. And, and you've blessed me in, 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 you know, financial things. And, well, in those days it was like goats and donkeys. You know, you blessed him in livestock. But, but, God, I don't have an heir. And in that moment, God says, listen, the one who is in your house, uh, you know, the, is not going to be your heir. But you will have your own heir from me. And that's where in verse 6, and this is what, you know, kind of our whole understanding and faith in the new covenant kind of hinges on is this statement right here where Abraham, Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted it, he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham becomes the first believer. He becomes the first believer. And this is the power of believing in God, believing what he says. You know, uh, I like Bill Johnson, he makes this statement or made it many uh, a while ago about like the problem in church isn't the unbelieving it's the unbelieving believers you know like as believers we say we're believing but then like you know we actually we wind up being unbelieving in our in our walk with the lord and and so you know this whole statement right here it says and he believed in the lord and it and it was counted to him for righteousness and then God gives them instruction about what to do. And, and in this day and age, this is how they made covenant. They, they would take uh, animals and they would cut them like from nose to tail in half this way. I don't have a tail, but you get the idea, right? They cut them and then they, they lay the, the parts. And then the two people who were making covenant, they would walk through the parts. It was called the covenant of the pieces. And what they were saying is that if I deny this covenant, may I become like this animal that was split in half. And so that's, uh, Abram was told by God, get these animals, get a three-year-old heifer, get a three-year-old, uh, I think, sheep or goat, and, and, and more. I forget exactly, but, and they, they laid, it, laid it out there, and all of a sudden, Abram's waiting there. And I love how, kind of towards the end of Genesis 15, Abram has this encounter with God, and it says he, he falls into a, into a deep sleep, and terror comes upon him. And God begins to talk to him. He says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. But know that for 400 years, your descendants are going to be taken into a foreign land and they will be oppressed. And we know that that happened in Egypt. So God was telling him, listen, the, the, the hardships that your descendants are, are going to go through, that does not negate the covenant that I'm about to make with you. I just want you to know on the front end. And, but as for you, you will, you, know, you will go to your fathers at an at a old age, at a good old age, and and then Abram, as the sun's going down, he wakes up. I think he's waking up because it's, you know, it says it there that the sun was going down, so he's having a natural. And he literally sees a pot and a smoking, of a, a smoking pot, a fire pot. Now, those days, they didn't have matches, right? So they would take fire from one place to another in a pot. They would take the coals in a pot, and they, they would keep it all day. That way, when they would camp that night, they would be able to start the fire from hot coals. So there was a smoking oven or smoking pot like that and a torch and it doesn't say that abram walks through the the pieces that were cut in half it says that he sees the pot and the torch representing god walking through those pieces and i love how that you know that shows us that god was saying listen i'm taking all the risk on my son this is something i'm going to do that if i don't do this for you this is essentially what he was saying if i don't do this for you May I become like the pieces of this animal. Wow. God's laying his divinity on the line for Abram. It's amazing. Anyway, so God, you know, he makes, he makes this. And where Abram gives God his livestock, we see the result is that more wealth comes. More livestock actually comes to Abram as God makes a covenant with him. Like he, what does God ask and require of him? livestock <laughs> and that's how god blesses him in the future we see the result and uh, in that in this first covenant now i'm going to be talking about three covenants or it's actually like three parts to the same covenant that god makes with abram 
and we can kind of see some reflections of our journeys in faith in this. And so the result is that Abram, he believes God. Abram gives God his possessions as a sacrifice. And we see that the result of that is there, that Abram is blessed again. Abram is given the land that he's walking in. He's giving, given the land from the Nile to the Euphrates. And financial blessing comes and establishment in a land. He was a sojourner in the land. He was a foreigner in the land. And God says, I'm giving you land. I'm going to establish you here. Uh, even in the season of famine, we see that Abram prospers in that place. All right? There, you know, there was a time in our lives, Sheree, in my life, where uh, in the mission field, we just didn't have any money. I mean, we were broke. We were poor. We were poor. <laughs> All right? We were poor. I mean, it was, we didn't even have the OR on the end of four. We... <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we were poor, you know, and we, we didn't have a lot of money. I was, and we were like, Lord, what are we going to do? And it, in that time, the Lord spoke to me. He said, go to Psalms chapter 37. And I wasn't smart enough to know what Psalms 37 was already. So I went there and had to read it. And in verse 3, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And that impacted me so much. It was like a word in season for us because like, we didn't have any money. And it was like, Lord, we're on the mission field. And we're, tr we're trying to do, you know, like we, we came all this way. And we want to do great things for you. But like we can't even put gas in our car. You know, it was that time in, in, our, in our life. And just like we, <laughs> you know, I feel called to the nations. You can't even get out of town. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, that, was, that, was, that was where we were, you know, the, just the, amen, come on. And I, was, and I was just crying out to the Lord, like, Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to eat? What are we, and, and, and I was like, okay, God, if we have nothing else, we're going to feed on your faithfulness. We will continue to do good, and we will feed on your faithfulness. We will dwell in the land. You will delight yourself in, also in the Lord. Oh, I have the scripture up here for you. But it's so small, you might not be able to read it. I'll read it for you. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And God just really spoke to me in that moment of like, man, of our need, of our like, we were just, we were at this place, we didn't know what to eat, and I was like, okay God, we're going to feed on your faithfulness. I don't know how that looks for dinner tonight, but we're going to feed on your faithfulness. And I think, you know, this is something that Abram learned in that season, where like, in, in a land where there was famine, God blesses him, and God, he's, he, he waits on the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord. We see, you know, as you go into Genesis 16, where Abram and Sarah, they were in Canaan for 10 years. So they were in Canaan now for 10 years, and nothing happened in terms of them getting pregnant and them receiving the promise from the Lord. Nothing had happened. And I don't know... Uh, I think a lot of times today, you know, if, if I look at my expectation, I'm like, well, God's supernatural. He can do it, like, now. You know, like, he says it, if it's not done by next week, like, <laughs> what's wrong? You know, and here Abram and Sarah, Abram and Sarai, this is before their names were changed, they, they, they were in the land of Canaan for 10 years, and, and they're blessed, and... But there's still no heir. Tell your neighbor, say, there's still no heir. And so they come up with this plan. Sarai plots this plan of like, you know, take Hagar and maybe you can have offspring through her and blah, 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 blah. And the, and, and the world is still trying to figure that one out today. Like we're still trying to bring peace between Ishmael and Isaac today. So take heart. If you ever make mistakes, it's probably not that big. All right, in 6,000 years, they will probably not be trying to figure out your mistake, okay? All right, so Abram and, and Sarah, they really, you know, they go into this deal, and, and it is another 13 years, or another 14 years, actually, before God speaks to them again. So they're at 24 years now that they're in the land of Canaan when we get to 
um, Genesis chapter 17, where God comes and he meets with Abram again. And he, see, God, he really wants Abram to get it right. Like in the, in, in the face of all the mistakes that Abram had just made, all the stumbles, all the, all the stuff that him and Sarah trying to work it out in their own strength, and it didn't go so well. And now Ishmael's 13 years old, and, and now all of a sudden God comes because God knows what he's about to do. And he wants to set Abram up for success. And that's what God does for you and I. It's like he'll come and he'll, he'll challenge us with some things sometimes. And he comes and confronts us with some things sometimes. Not so that you feel bad or feel guilty, but he wants to position you and me to be able to receive the success that he wants to bring. And that's what he does to Abram. He shows up. And it's not, it doesn't say that, you know, it, it wasn't because of anything Abram did. This was a sovereign act of God where sovereign, sovereignly God comes to Abram in, in uh, Genesis chapter 17. And he, uh, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you. And will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. So God, what he does is... Not only, he, he comes and upgrades Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Like you're going to be the father of a family. Abraham means the father of a multitude. And God adds a multitude of nations. So God is kind of upgrading Abram here. And this is 13 years after the first covenant in Genesis 15. This is 24 years after they get into Canaan and God's starting to talk to them about the promises. I mean, sometimes, you know, there was things that I felt like God was telling me. I was like, you know, like, oh, man, God, you've given us these promises. Praise God. I, th I think this will happen in about, like, four years. You know, and he here we are, like, 20 years later. You know, God is okay. He has enough time. He has enough time. You know, and so we see that God upgrades Abraham here, changes his name, changes Sarah's name to Sarah, um, which means princess, the f and, and upgrades him. And Abraham here, he's required. There's, this is something that is required of him. Goes into like this second covenant or second portion of the covenant with God. So, and this one, you know, <laughs> Abram, the last covenant cost you financially. You know, it was financial. The cost was financial. This one is going to be surgical. Okay? And God introduces the concept of circumcision. <laughs> okay? This, the Abram, this, this cost is going to be surgical on you, buddy. This one is going to be a little bit more uncomfortable. It's not just about your stuff. It's about your holiness. Because you got to walk before me and be blameless, Abram. And, so, and that's what God did. You know, the cost of this covenant with the Lord was that, you know, his obedience to God was going to cause some pain, maybe a little discomfort in the flesh. Somebody say a little. All right. And really, God explains the purpose of circumcision here was to be set apart. The purpose of circumcision was holiness. That's, that's what holiness means, to be set apart for God, to be, to be for God, all for God. And so God leads him through this covenant, and, you know, Abraham, it's, it's time to give God your holiness. It's time to be set apart for him. It's not just about your stuff, and the Bible updates this through Jeremiah and through Isaiah and through the New Covenant and the New Testament, saying it's not just about the circumcision of the flesh. It's about the circumcision of the heart, where the Word of God comes and pierces our heart and we, you know, to the depths of our heart, and we know that we need him. And we're convicted of sin, and we come, and we allow the, the, the uh, fleshly stuff of our life to be cut out. So, you know, the very thing that helped to birth an Ishmael, God says, listen, I, I need to refine that in you. 
and the very things in our lives where we get, uh, you know, we, we, we strive and we try and push for something and we birth Ishmael's out of our own, uh, you know, desires and our own uh, issues, God comes and he allows to refine our hearts. And he cuts those things away in our hearts. Like Romans chapter 2 verse 29 talks about, it says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So God upgrades, you know, uh, this whole idea of circumcision into the circumcision of the heart in the new covenant for you and I. And so it's not just about Abram, you know, this is going to cost you some livestock. Now this is about Abram. This is, this is more. This is more about who you are and the depth of the intimacy of who you are. God is coming after. And Abram has to... Take, he has to step up and become, make covenant with God. It's going to cost him some things in his own life. The result of that is the introduction of holiness. Like, Abram, you are, you are set apart now for God. The introduction of, like, you belong to God. The cir- circumcision of the heart in obeying God's word. Also, we see that the practical upgrade in, in what uh, God promises Abram is he tells him, listen, it's not just about from the Nile to the Euphrates anymore. You get the whole land of Canaan. All of a sudden, the promise is upgraded to Abram. You get the whole land of Canaan. And then you read through that. So Abram, uh, yeah. Cherie told me yesterday, she was like, you're not going to do a whole, like, long exposition on circumcision, are you? I was like, well, I was kind of thinking about it. She was like, this conversation is going to go down, and I told you so. You shouldn't have done it. (laughs) So we're just going to briefly skip over this portion here. But Abraham submits his organ of reproduction to God's word (laughs) and shows us that when we are obedient, what he's showing us is that when we are obedient to do God's will, his way, doing God's will, his way, supernatural things start to happen. Supernatural things start to happen. Abraham and Sarah received new names. They received an identity upgrade and, and were renewed. They received a miraculous birth, something that was absolutely impossible. They received because of this covenant that God made with them. They saw it happen. This was the, the time when, you know, uh, reading through there, when, when God comes to Abram and, and he's talking like, this time next year I'm going to come and visit Sarah and she's going to bear a child and, and Sarah's in the tent and she's laughing. And God says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? You see, it's our obedience to the Lord and walking with him and in walking in our, out our faith that creates moments where God says, oh, I want to do this for you. And you're like, oh, it's impossible. And God says, well, is there anything too hard for me? You see, there's things that like are outside the natural boundaries of our life and of our experience that God wants to do. He wants to set us up for some success. He wants to, as we are walking with him and journeying with him, as you know, is our theme into new seasons with the Lord, journeying with him, God wants to set us up for some success. And after 25 years in Canaan, tell your neighbor, say 25. This is what faith looks like, guys. <laughs> after 25 years, all of a sudden, Isaac is born. And Isaac means laughter. It means laughter, the the very thing that Abraham and Sarah had hoped for, had cried out for, had longed for, had tried to get themselves and couldn't do it. All of a sudden, God comes and he does a thing. He does a supernatural thing. and, And Isaac is born and joy is released over them. You know, uh, it, this reminds me of, of Psalms chapter 105, verse 19. It was talking about Joseph where it says, Until what he had said come to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. There's things in our life, there's things in our life where um, sometimes the promises of God, our belief and our understanding and our walk with the Lord will be tested. Not out of God trying to like disqualify us, but God setting us up. Because that's where we start with the next chapter here. I mean, Abraham goes on and, and uh, you know, he, he does some other things here. But there was 25 years of believing the promises of God, of walking them out. I was talking, I was talking with uh, Shane and Sierra earlier this week, I was, and, and we were talking about this. And they were like, 
you know, what did they do in the interim? Because, and this is, that, this is that divine tension where, like, they have the supernatural works of God and they have the promises of God, yet they still have to do the dishes, right? They still have to do the natural life. Uh, anyone, any of you have angels show up in your house and do your dishes for you? No, me either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's still this, there's this thing where we, where we serve a supernatural, earth-moving, mountain-moving God, and, and yet we still have to reckon with and reconcile some of the natural things in our lives, you know, like our bodies getting older. Those of you who don't feel like your body is getting older, primarily over on this side, <laughs> there will be a day <laughs> when you will feel <laughs> your body getting old. You know, like th those are just natural things. And, and what do we do? You know, what, do we, what did Abraham and Sarah do in the interim before the promise and the receiving of the promise, and I believe that, you know, it's in, uh, you know, I love what um, Harold Eberly says that, like, 80% or 85% or 90% of living for the Lord is doing the things that you love that he puts inside of your heart. And then there's that 10% where, like, you got to make sure that you show up in a moment with God to be obedient. And I think, you know, in the times, in the interim times between, like, God doing something supernatural we need to be enjoying the things that he gave us, our families, our friends, you know, enjoying life, engaging with life. You know, sometimes, and, and I can probably almost err on this, where, like, I can be miserable from one move of God to the next, you know. It's like there and then the valley. And then, you know, like, <laughs> don't laugh so loud, Shree. They know it's really true now. <laughs> no. So, like, you know, like, and, and really, what we're be between the things where God's doing something sovereignly, he's doing a move, we need to be okay with life. We need to enjoy the relationships that we have in life, enjoy the things that God has given us in life. You know, there's a, uh, enjoy the things that God has placed in our hearts. And we, that enables us to kind of live with that same tension, the divine tension of the supernatural and the natural that all of our heroes of faith lived with in life. You know, like, I mean, hey, we go to the doctor, right? I mean, I was just sick with malaria. I mean, that's, those are things that happen. Like, yeah, I wanted to be healed. And, and there was a portion of it, but there was also, you know, I mean, when I took malaria meds, I bounced back, man. There was like, it, it really changed. And so there's this, this divine tension that we walk with. And I believe that Jesus partied. You know how I know that Jesus partied? Because people who like to party like to hang out with him. <laughs> All right. All right, and, and I don't think he compromised in any way for them, but I believe that there was something about how Jesus enjoyed life. Like, did you ever just get with some people in there? It's like, man, this is what life is about. You just, you know, like you're with a group of friends and you're hanging out, and it's like, man, like this is the essence of life. This is so good. Like this is just so great. And I think that people who got around Jesus, they experienced that, that there was a place for them in the presence of Jesus. There was a place for them, whether they were sinners, whether they, there was something attractive about the presence of Jesus. They just wanted to be around him, you know. There, there was a place where they could say, I belong here. I belong in the presence of Jesus. And that's, you know, what our churches should be like today is that we have the presence of Jesus. And that people walk into that and they're like, I belong. Like, hey, I, I may have a sordid past, but I belong. I belong here. I belong in his presence. And there was something about Jesus. And, and so I think maybe that's what Abraham was supposed to be doing instead of creating Ishmael. <laughs> you know, he was, that's, he was supposed to be doing that. You know, just enjoying what God was doing in their life, enjoying the natural things, his children growing up. And, and so, you know, we, we going just uh, kind of fast forwarding through Abraham's life here. Um, we see then that Abram, you know, he intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that Abram, they moved, and Abraham lies about Sarah again to Abimelech. This astounds me. Because not only is this the second time Abraham says, oh, she's my sister, she's not my wife. But Sarah must have been hot stuff, because she was 90 years old. <laughs> and Abimelech still wants her in his harem. I, <laughs> I mean, that's what the Bible says. She was 90, and Abraham still fearing for his life that when they see how beautiful you are, they're going to kill me for you. I mean, hey. 
Abimelech, you know, he could have been trying to just, you know, create a treaty in marriage like they did in those days, but we don't know. Anyway, so Isaac is born 25 years later, and um, <laughs> we don't know if that's by design or if that's God waiting for Ishmael to turn 13, which is the age of maturity in Jewish, uh, in the Jewish culture, so that Isaac would be the sole, you know, ish, uh, age 13 is when you're responsible for the things that you do. And so Abraham and Sarah were no longer responsible for Ishmael's character and what he was doing at that point. We don't know. We don't, I mean, maybe it was just, you know, God willing, God planning 25 years. But he was, you know, one thing that we see here in the third covenant, which is Genesis chapter 2, 22, sorry, um, is that it says that God tests Abraham. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And we're not going to read through all of it, but this is where God tells Abraham, listen, I want you to take the son that I gave you, and I want you to travel to Mount Moriah, and there I want you to sacrifice him to me as an offering. It's kind of weird. It's like, God, really? Like, I don't know if that's in line with your nature. And we see that God asks Abraham to lay down the very thing that God had given to him. The very thing that God had provided for him, his greatest joy. God asks him to sacrifice it back to himself. And so we see in Abraham here being willing to lay down the very things that God has given to him. And God, it's yours. And I love you more than the things that you have given to me. I love you more than the things that you have given to me. Being led, we see that Abraham had to be led by God's voice in faith. Because God tells him, go and sacrifice your son on a mountain that I'm going to show you. So I wonder what that was like for Abraham. He's walking, he's journeying. You know, the, the young guys are behind him. Isaac is there. And, and, and they're walking. And I wonder if he's looking at, like, every mountain peak. Like, is that the mountain peak for you? No, it just doesn't seem right. What, what about that one over there? And that's a lot of times how our faith is with God. When we are seeking to be obedient is that we're like, Lord, is this right? Uh, I, don't, I don't really feel peace with that. Okay, is, God, is this right? And we just keep putting one step after the other and walking with God. And so we see that they get to the mountain, and Abram, in, in the way, on the way, we see Abraham's faith. He tells the young man, he says, the boy and I are going to go and worship, and then we are going to come back to you. We're going to come back to you. And on the way, Isaac says, Dad, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says to Isaac, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb. And Abraham, you know, I, this amazes me, the submission of Isaac to Abraham in that season, because, Ab you know, Isaac was probably... Around 13, I mean, he was carrying the wood, you know. He was big enough to be carrying the wood. He was probably around age 14 or so. Or that's what historians tell us. And, and he allows himself to be bound by his father and laid on the altar. And Abraham is about to kill him. And all of a sudden, God stops him and says, stop. I know now. I know now that you fear me. And I know now that you would not withhold anything from me, even your Turn around, look behind you, and there in the thicket is a ram that God has provided. Not a lamb, it's a ram. Several thousand years later, God is going to provide a lamb. And because by right of covenant, where what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine, what, you, what, I, can, what I can demand from you, I, I can, God, I can demand from you, Isaac, a son, an heir. God can demand from me, Isaac, a son, an heir. And because God requires Isaac to be sacrificed as an offering, God, I can require Jesus to be sacrificed as an offering of sin. The difference is God stops Abraham and says, you don't, you don't have to kill your son. I know you, you believe me fully. I know you follow me fully. 4,000 years later, when Jesus was required, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, 
was required by man as a sacrificial offering. Man didn't say, God, stop. It's okay, he doesn't have to die. But Jesus fulfilled the sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. We see that Abraham here in this, we see that Abraham was concluding that God was able to raise the dead. This is the first time that we see the idea of resurrection of the dead. It's in Abraham's faith. God, even, even if I kill my own son, you're able to raise him up because I'm coming back to these young men. We're going to go and worship. You're going to come back. We see that Abraham's faith was for the dead to be raised. Abraham not withholding his only son as a sacrifice for God. Therefore, God would not withhold his only son as a sacrifice for mankind, for you and for me. The result of this, we see the introduction of having Abraham having faith in God for raising of the dead. We see Abraham having a willingness to sacrifice his son for God who was covenant keeping, who would later sacrifice his son. We see God who a God who rescues our lives by providing the very things he rescues. He, he takes our lives and he rescues us and then he gives our life back to us. We are Isaac in that sense, where God takes us and he redeems us and gives our life back to us. And then in Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Isaac was the first living sacrifice. He was sacrificed, but made alive. God gives him back to his father. You and I, we were made alive. And God says, hey, come, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Holy, there's that word holy again. That means set apart, the same as circumcision, the same as you're set apart for the Lord. You're, you're made pure inside, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hearing Abraham's journey here with God into new seasons in his life helps us understand some of our own journeys with God into our new seasons. Abraham shows us that when we acknowledge God and his promises that he has made to us, we honor him in our finances, in our, in our tithe and giving a tenth. We are able, uh, we also see that Abraham shows us that we are able to believe what God says about our lives and we see that God keeps his covenant through Jesus. We see that when we're willing to lay down our material possessions to the Lord, God is able to take those material possessions and we see that blessing comes into our lives. We see that being willing to be separated to the Lord, being holy to the Lord, with our hearts circumcised, being pierced by the word of God, recognizing our need for him and his grace-filled provision for us at the same time where we celebrate that. Like, God, and this is the amazing thing about walking with the Lord, is you can be convicted to the heart. God, forgive me, that was wrong. But at the same time, turn around and we see the fullness of the grace of God's provision over our lives and we can celebrate that because we know who we are. Like Paul says, he, he knows who he is. Uh, he's the chiefest of sinners, but yet he has this great confidence in God. And that's each one of us. We can have that encounter, the same thing that, that we can see that in Abraham. We also see that we are to offer our lives in service to the Lord, that our lives, it's our reasonable sacrifice, being a living sacrifice to the Lord. Can we stand together? If you're here and you recognize that maybe you've drifted in your giving <laughs> or drifted in your holiness or drifted in your service, to the Lord. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Those are kind of the things that we looked at here in the covenants that God has made with Abraham and how he's the father of our faith. And so this is, you know, our faith looks a lot of times in different ways uh, like Abraham's journey with God. So Father, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence here. God, I pray for those who have maybe drifted in uh, their faith, Father, for offering God just the natural resources that you have given 
us in our lives. Father, I pray for those who have maybe drifted in their hearts and nobody has even seen it, but they recognize that they're not as close to you as they were before. And Father, I pray for those, Lord, who've also drifted in their service to you, saying, Father, uh, where they're, they, as living sacrifices, God, sometimes we just want to keep crawling off the altar. And God, I, I ask in Jesus' name that we would have a restoration of the faith of Abraham, God. That, God, you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly above everything that we could even ask or think. God, we, we have no idea what you're able to do. It's more than we could even imagine. And, God, I ask, Lord, for a restoration of faith in the supernatural works of God in Jesus' name. God, give us the grace to, to walk with that divine tension in our lives, Lord, with the natural things of life and the natural happenings of life, life and the supernatural works that you do in our hearts and in our lives in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your hand upon every person here. I thank you that we can celebrate the finished work of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and see that apportioned and appropriated to our lives this week and today in the name of Jesus Christ. God, thank you, Lord, for examples in the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for examples of faith in the Bible, in Jesus' name. God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the promises that you have given to each person here to us as a church body, and Lord, we say yes and amen. Let it come here in this place as it is in heaven. Let it come in our families and in our jobs, Father, in our schools and in our workplaces as it is in heaven, Lord. Let it be in our homes, God, as it is in heaven. Let it be, Lord, in our towns, God, as it is in heaven, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray, Lord, for divine opportunities this week, Lord, to, to speak your word of life and your words of truth over other people's hearts and minds and lives in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you, Lord, for divine connections and divine relationships in this season in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, Lord, that no matter how far we are from you, we can always take one step back to you in Jesus' name. Lord, if there are people here today who are far from you, God, we thank you that your heart is to draw near to, near to them and near to us in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says, amen, amen. Uh, the prayer ministers, you can come forward here. If you would like prayer for anything, any reason, uh, you are welcome to come and receive prayer. We believe that prayer works, amen? Prayer works, come on, amen. And so if you would like prayer for any reason, come and receive prayer. And have a powerful week this week. You are anointed and called by God, filled with his spirit. Have divine moments and opportunities that God has aligned for you this week. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Amen.